Montez. Sideline ball, Chenault. It is over. Are you kidding me? How did he do it? The 26th head football coach of this great institution. Ladies and gentlemen, our new head football coach, Mel Tucker. Our team, we will be physical. Wilkins again gives to Benjamin. Hick dropped in the backfield. <laughs> Mustafa Johnson shooting through for Colorado. Sometimes you just know. And I know that the young men in that room, they're hungry. An interception thrown by Martinez. It's picked off by guess who? I've never been in a game as a player or a coach that we weren't expected to win. Blitz from Nebraska. Montez takes a shot. Drops it in to Chanel. Touchdown! Welcome into episode 15 of the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. And the Buffs again took care of business for the second week in a row against a, a pretty solid Washington team. I, I mean, I know we had kind of talked about me being a little more optimistic on this one than you were not, but it was it was just something different about this game. I don't know what it was necessarily, but there was just something different about this team that last week than what we've seen pretty much for most of the season and it was kind of impressive to see well i'll tell you what was different we actually looked like the better football team on the field maybe that's what it was yeah it didn't look like a fluky like some weird stuff happened and we were able to win it was like we should have won by more yeah no i mean i know at one point it was like six to nothing and it should have been like probably 14 or 17 to nothing. Yeah, and, like if LaVisca doesn't slip in the end zone on yep. one of them <laughs> and if we don't have like some stupid penalties, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get in more in depth on that game in just a bit here. Let's start off the Pac-12 recap with the UC, USC going, was it was this one, it was in, I guess I'm in the same city, but it was at uh, the Coliseum, correct? I believe it was a home game for the yes. Trojans. Yeah. yeah. So they, the Trojans won 52 35. And I mean, there's not too much, I think, to take away from this one other than I think Keaton Slovis might have beaten out JT Daniels for next year's starting quarterback job. I mean, I don't. He's the first freshman quarterback in USC history to throw for 500 yards. So. And he, he, he had 515 yards and four touchdowns. JT Daniels is like not, he's not capable of that. So no. I don't know how you could go back to him personally. But yeah, I mean, he looks like the future. It's disappointing because I think, uh, I, I think USC is going to be on the up and up for the next few years. But um, yeah, he's, he's something special for sure. Yeah, and I think the weird, I mean, obviously you never really know until they get into the college game, but I believe, I mean, I'm looking it up right now, JT Daniels was the number 16 overall recruit in the country and the number two quarterback in the country when he was being recruited. Right. Keaton Slovis was a three-star composite. Yeah. I mean, I think that just goes to show that, I mean, obviously they can't evaluate everyone perfectly, but... 
I'm just curious what they saw in JT Daniels that made him such a highly rated recruit, and then Keaton Slovis comes in. He's just kind of dominant from from pretty much the moment he's been started playing. Yeah, well, to be fair to JT Daniels, you kind of have to think about, too, like they got a new offensive coordinator and a new offense this year, so we never really saw him play in this kind of offense, but regardless, it, it is like pretty incredible stuff, what mm-hmm. Slovis is doing. Yeah, I mean, it, this game was just, it was pretty much just a shootout from the start. USC was never, I think they had the lead almost the entire game, um, but, you know, DTR is starting to look okay-ish. Um, I'm not really confident that he's still going to be like a solid quarterback for when, when like his college career is said and done, but he's starting to look okay and, and UCLA in general is starting to look better, but they're still only four and seven. They're not going to make a bowl now. Um, USC though, uh, do you, I mean, do you think they saved Clay Hilton's job? Okay. I was just about to say, do we, as in the university of Colorado control the destiny of Clay Hilton? Ooh, that's actually a good question. Think about it. Because, and we'll get to this more later, if by some miracle the Buffs beat Utah Mm -hmm. this weekend, that means USC would be in the Pac-12 championship game because they own the tiebreaker over Utah and they would have the same conference record. Right. So So USC goes into the Pac-12 championship game. Oregon... You know, they'll be in there too, but maybe at this point they have no playoff hopes. USC seems to be playing better. Slovis is just on another planet right now. Maybe they pull off of the upset. And are you really going to fire him after you won a Pac-12 championship? Yeah, and the, the other weird thing too, because I mean, realistically, I think that they their offense is good enough that I think if USC were to go play Oregon, I think they could do it, especially with, well, I mean, we'll get to... Oregon and, and Justin Herbert in a second, but I yeah. think they could. I think they actually would have a fighting chance. Obviously, I know that Oregon whooped up on them a couple weeks back, but uh, I think it's a little bit different atmosphere in the Pac-12 championship game. But the, I didn't realize Clay Helton's buyout is still like a lot of. I, I, is it like twenty million or something like that? I'm not even sure, but I, I don't think money is that big of an obstacle for the Trojans. So. That's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. But regardless, all of that is incredibly unlikely. I just had the thought dawn on me today, like, huh, maybe we kind of control the destiny of his job. Because I personally, I don't think going 8-4 and four and, and beating UCLA and getting into like a decent bowl is going to be enough for him. I think um, people will still look at the roster, even with the injury problems they've had, and just want to get rid of him, especially... If they can get like an Urban Meyer or one of those guys, um, yeah, it, it would be tough for him to stay around. It seems like they've kind of had a target on him since the beginning. So yeah, and, and it, the new uh, the new AD has no love for that. I I, I can't mean he's he didn't get him there. He has no loyalty right. to that guy. So <laughs> right, exactly. So it would take. All I'm saying is it would take something miraculous like. Like us beating Utah, them going to the championship and winning or something like that. But. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, uh, you know, final recap of this one, UCLA, they aren't going to make a bowl now. USC is, you know, I guess they're just waiting. They're cheering for the buffs this weekend. 
Uh, yeah. And obviously they got to take care of. Wait, no, they're they're done for the season. Yeah, they're the done. Season. Yeah, so yeah. Um, it's it really is like Chase said, all up to to us on whether or not they get into the to the Pac-12 championship. Yep. So uh, let's go Buffs, huh? Let's go Buffs. So uh, the next game up was Cal taking on Stanford 24-20 in favor of the Bears, which means Cal got bowl eligibility and Stanford, like UCLA, will not be able to get to a bowl, especially with, for those of you that don't know, the Pac-12 instituted a rule. I believe it was last year. It could be this year. could be the first year. But regardless, where a 5-7 team from the Pac-12 will not be eligible for a bowl. So anyone that has five wins will not make it. But um, this was Chase Garber's first full game back, and I mean, they, I mean, they only scored twenty four, but the offense still looked more. It looked like it had a heartbeat, at least compared to what we've seen in the past. Aside from that one game they had a couple of weeks ago. No, oh, I mean it's just no question it's a different team with Chase Garber's there uh, playing a whole game. Especially, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with them playing UCLA uh, this next weekend. But um, regardless, yeah, I mean he was. He was pretty much their whole offense this week, and, and mm-hmm. that's kind of what we saw early on in the season when they started playing really well. So it's good to see him back, um, see Cal kind of playing up to the level that they could have all year. And, uh, you know, Stanford just continues sliding, continues falling. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Stanford's, that's an interesting one. Stanford's kind of in a world of hurt, but they do, you know, they get Davis Mills back. So I guess I just, I think we kind of talked about last week. I just don't know what the, I don't know what the quick fix is for them. I I couldn't even put my finger on it. Yeah. I mean, I should, we should point out Stanford was leading this game 17 to 10 in like the final, yeah. In the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. And then Cal went down and had two back-to-back touchdown drives to take a 24 to 20 lead, which is like very not Cal. Right. at all but just this this team like i said they're just different with chase carvers there so um that makes a difference for sure yeah and i think this the i think it was the last yeah it was the last touchdown they scored it was garbers who had like a 20 yard scramble to basically put him up for good with like a minute left in the game so you know i mean i i, I just didn't see him being a good quarterback last year i don't know kind of what changed between last year and this year but he's he's decent when he's healthy yeah, I mean, he definitely has been this year. So uh, I don't know if it's just another year playing or what, but he's he is their guy going forward. It looks like. Oh yeah, um, for sure, definitely. And he he is what is he a sophomore? He is a sophomore. So yeah, so he started as a as a true freshman last year. Yeah, so um, you know, like we said, Cal gets to bowl eligibility. Stanford is out, and then the the big one for this week really was Oregon. Upset by Arizona State, thirty-one to twenty-eight, and Justin Herbert looked bad. <laughs> yeah, so um, this <laughs> this guy, I, I I we both talked about it early on. He was getting hype as like the number one pick in the draft coming in, and I don't think either of us really felt that way. Mm-mm. Um. And he really hasn't shown it much. I mean, he kind of turned it on towards the end of this game because really ASU was was in control here. Um, I think they were up twenty four to seven at one point yeah. before Oregon finally kind of brought it back and made it close. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, really, this this was a game between a guy who I think will be a good quarterback in the NFL and Justin Herbert. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's the story, I think, is that Jaden Daniels just looked phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, well, the thing about Herbert, he, I mean, you do have to give him credit for bringing them back in the fourth, but you also have sure. to say they would have won probably because they were rolling on offense in the fourth. And then he threw two really crucial picks in the fourth quarter that kind of, I think, kind of broke the Oregon defense at that point because they had, you know, they had had such a, they'd played pretty well because Arizona State hadn't really scored until the fourth quarter. Obviously, they had the 13 points, but, you know, they'd been keeping the, the team in it. And then I think once Herbert threw those two picks, it just kind of, it kind of broke the, it was a straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, pretty much. And, and that kind of seemed like, he just panicked with them being down by as much as they were at the time um, and just just forced it. I mean, because they were – the first interception, they were down 13-7, to seven, and then ASU immediately scored a touchdown. And then the next one I felt like was just – he's just panicking at that point, feeling like it's actually ending. This season is actually going to be a loss um, before he threw the next one. And then after that, it was almost like it was so far out of reach, maybe – Maybe he calmed down a little bit or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, to his credit, they, they really did. They almost brought it back. If it wasn't for Jaden Daniels throwing a bomb to Brandon Ayuk for 80 yards. 80 yards. And um, I think all 80 of those yards were in the air. <laughs> yeah, almost. Uh, if he hadn't have just absolutely just burned him on that one, then Oregon might actually come back and pull that, pull off that comeback. But... Um, he just kind of put it out of reach too much with that play there. Yeah, and I think the the scariest thing, if you're a Buffs fan, to, to come out of this one is that Jaden Daniels is around for two more years, probably. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and, probably. I mean, he like, we had talked about it multiple times. He's just gotten better and better each week. And aside from one bad game against Utah, I mean, I would say he's almost looked like at least equal or the better quarterback in every game he's played. Yeah, I would say for the most part, I mean, he he's, he struggled a little at times, I think, when they played UCLA. Obviously, he was bad against Utah, but so has, like, everybody else. Right. Bad <laughs> against Utah, so um, that's not saying that much. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. He, he could be the guy in the conference going forward, for sure. Yeah, and I think he's got – well, I mean, he does lose Brandon Ayuk the – they're basically their stud receiver for next year. Right. But um, I want to say Frank Darby is another of their receivers is a junior. So he'll probably be the feature guy next year. And then I'll be curious to see if Benjamin comes back. I doubt he does, but he is a junior too. So. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens with them. I mean, you know, Herm's got some good things going at ASU. So uh, I don't know if, (laughs) I don't know if it'll continue. They've still now they've had, what it's now two years and and they've been kind of good and bad so it'll be Mm -hmm. interesting to see if they can put together like a consistent season yeah i just kind of find it funny that they fired um todd graham the former arizona state head coach for going seven and five every season yeah and it looks like that's what they're gonna do again this year (laughs) i know it's kind of funny that they're gonna end up with that exact record yeah i think they did after having it last year right yeah yeah so i mean I don't know. I guess I mean you could see some positive things, but I feel like when you have a team that's consistently going seven and five, you hire a guy with the expectation that he can kind of take the next step, and it doesn't really seem like they've gotten that yet. 
Right, yeah. We'll see what happens next year. I, I do think with Jaden Daniels that next step could be coming. Yeah, that's a good. That's that's very true. But um, you know, with this result, Oregon is. I mean, I don't think anyone's got giving Oregon any shot, even if they were to win against Utah in the Pac-12. I think a two-loss team has has pretty much no shot no. At getting into the playoffs. So right now, it's all in Utah, which hopefully we screw them out of that one too. <laughs> yeah, hopefully they don't make it because of us. Yep. So uh, next game up was Washington State and Oregon State in what is kind of becoming classic Washington State football games with just a huge shootout, 54-53 Washington State won. And they, I don't know, I mean, it was just it was just kind of like a Big 12 game. It was just track meet. They're just people scoring left and right, except for somehow Oregon State didn't score in the third. I don't know how they didn't <laughs> score, but, you know, I mean, Lutton threw for 408 yards. Gordon threw for 600 yards. They were just, it was just a complete track meet. And it was, I didn't get to watch much of it. I just was checking out some highlights and whatnot. But, you know, I think in general, it's just, this is kind of what you expected from these two teams. Just two bad defenses going up against one really good offense and one decent offense as well. Yeah, I, you know, I don't even know how to analyze Washington State games these days. (laughs) Because the numbers are just so unbelievable. Like, yeah, he threw for 600 yards, but he also threw 70 passes. So, yeah, it's like, is that good? I don't even know at this point. Is it impressive that he threw 70 passes (laughs) in a game? Um, Maybe. I mean, he had six touchdowns and three picks. Like, it's just kind of... I don't know, man. It's it's a weird game. I mean, credit to Washington State. They were able to make the last play, which is pretty much the type of game that this was, you know, where it was just whoever had the ball last was going to win it. Um, but, yeah, it was it was something else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it just blows my mind that he completed in this game more passes than I think Montez attempted in the last two games combined. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> At 50. Yeah. Um, but... Also, I mean, congrats to Gordon. He did set the Pac-12 record for passing touchdowns in a season. Yeah, uh, that's pretty with, cool. With 44. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I don't really know how to view their games. I mean, I think one thing, if you're an Oregon State fan, you got to be pretty excited because they've been competitive in pretty much every game this season, which I don't think anyone really predicted from, obviously, aside from Utah, but again, who who has been. Right. Um, you know, I don't think anybody predicted Oregon State to even get. I think they're over under total three beginning of seasons, like three wins, maybe two and a half. Yeah, and lower than ours, I think. Yeah, they're sitting here with a chance to get bowl eligibility if they beat Oregon, which who knows? Oregon might not even care at this point. Yeah, um, yeah. and might just come out flat, which I think Oregon State could take advantage of that. So, I mean, they've they've definitely exceeded expectations. Absolutely. I mean. Good for them, you know. As much as I hate him for last year, good mm-hmm. for them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hate him for that one moment, but I, I've never really had any issue yeah, with Oregon right. State Outside as a university. <laughs> yeah. So, um, again, Washington State wins out 54-53 in a shootout, and then the last game of the of the week, besides the Buffs game, was Utah uh, against Arizona, and as it's been all season, Utah just kind of choked people out with their defense and scored, you know, scored 35 here, beat Arizona 35 to seven. And it wasn't really ever in doubt, which has been almost all their games this year. 
But yeah, I mean, they scored 14 in the first quarter, went up 14 nothing, and then didn't score at all in the second quarter, but neither did Arizona. And they just kind of, yeah, I don't know, meandered their way to another huge blowout victory that never looked in doubt. Um, you know, Huntley was actually not great in this one. Uh, he didn't play his best game, but he was it was fine because Zach Moss ran for over 200 yards. Right. So <laughs> he didn't need to. And that's just kind of what Utah is. You know, it's these two guys leading the offense. And their defense just being this relentless, um, horrible thing that <laughs> absolutely kills the other team. And there's just nothing you can do about it. Yeah, I mean, even though Huntley, I mean, I guess I guess just up to what he's been doing, he didn't play great, but he still completed 82% of his passes. Sure, sure. And, I mean, again, it, it, was, it was a Zach Moss show, which a lot of their games have been this year. But I don't know, man. That defensive line is just disgusting vicious like they obviously no one can compare to chase young at ohio state but it's like if you took like a a b team version of chase young and made four of them that's pretty much utah's defensive line yeah they are unreal and they when they put pressure on the quarterback people can't run on them um i mean arizona went 25 carries for 61 yards it's just the the only way I think I see anybody in the Pac-12 beating Utah is you got to slow down Zach Moss, which is hard enough as is, and just kind of make it an ugly game where you can win like a 20-17 to 17 kind of game, which is kind of what I'm thinking CU has to do if they want any chance. But yeah, it, it's just, man. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll get into it a little bit when we when we preview the game this week. But Utah has some like special talent on their defensive line. They've got really talented guys as their quarterback and their running back. Um, but, you know, it, it's one of those things that I I feel like m- no one in this league is, is unbeatable, and uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't think anybody is. But I will say Utah only punted one time this game. So Utah, again, you know, just, again, taking care of business, not even really in doubt, and – We'll, we'll get to, obviously, what we think about them versus the Buffs in a bit here. Um, but first, let's go back over this Washington versus Colorado game, which, I mean, it was only 20-14. to 14. Obviously, the Buffs won, but for, for whatever reason, it was one of the most fun, low-scoring games I've watched in, in my recent memory. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, it was fun for us. Like it, it's it's interesting because the score was was close, but we really kind of dominated. I mean, mm-hmm. they only had two hundred thirty eight yards of total offense, and they had thirty two yards rushing on thirty two attempts, which is like that is that is domination at the line of scrimmage. So, um, I I really enjoyed it because I loved watching us get pressure on the quarterback. You totally called it. You said Eason was going to do his weird spin, yeah, like Madden backpedal thing. He did and, it like four times. Yeah, and they got him for five sacks. You know, they had ten tackles for loss. They had another four quarterback hurries. I mean, it was a, it was a fun one to watch. Yeah, and I well, I think the coolest thing about it too was, I mean, this Washington team. For anyone that wasn't aware, we were 0-9, I believe, in conference against them. Or maybe it was 0-9 since 
like 99 or something right, like that. Right, right, right. Um, and we had never beat them since 99. We hadn't won since we were in conference in the Pac-12. And this Washington team under Chris Peterson historically has been a very physical dominating team, you know, with, with they just kind of beat you up on the offensive and defensive lines. And we kind of worked them on both the offensive defensive lines, which is, which is probably one of the coolest things I've seen from this team all year, if not the most impressive thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we kind of just pushed them around. I, it, it's weird for me to even say, but that's really what it felt like. I mean, we ran the ball well. Um, we had, yeah, we had 207 yards rushing. So, mm-hmm. you know, With five, five yards, yard average, five per carry. That's, that is very solid. Um, and they, they couldn't do it against us and we got tons of pressure on them. I mean, it was just a, you know, credit to Tyson Summers. I felt like he called an awesome game and you could kind of see what he was doing and how it was confusing Eason and stuff. And every time they would get in a favorable down in distance, it was like, all right, we're going to stop them. And I can honestly say, I, I can't remember the last time I, I felt that way about a buffs defense. I guess it's probably 2016, but. Um, right it was it was nice to be able to sit there and be like oh it's third down and eight. Oh yeah they got this guy no problem yeah and it's also even if you take out the east and sacks which we he had seven carries for 20 minus 29 yards um right yeah but if you take out his sacks they still only average 2.4 yards per carry right so i mean it was just all around the defensive line dominated washington's offensive line and we don't lose a single guy from that line. Okay, that's a lie. We lose Alex Changum. Yeah. But he's more of like a pass rush-ish guy. Yeah, I mean, he, linebacker. He's not, yeah, he's not like a – he's not going to be – and he he's, he's really more of like a, a five-tech right. DN linebacker hybrid. But, I mean, we're getting all these guys from the defensive line back, plus we're adding Jordan Berry from, uh, from the prep ranks and Antonio Alfano. I mean – the defensive line went from shaky at best at the beginning of the year to we might ha- have like a top five Pac-12 defensive line next year. Oh yeah, I mean it could it could legitimately be like a serious strength of the team next year with the guys mm-hmm. that are coming in, and you know who knows as far as like recruits go, we're not necessarily done on that trail yet. So no, um, no, we're not done with that at all. And um, I mean, you kind of called it. A couple games ago, I think Summers just needed to bring a little bit more exotic pressure, just, you know, people from different areas. And he did that again, which he did against Stanford, and he did it now against Washington. So part of me kind of wonders if maybe he wasn't calling games like that before because maybe the scheme wasn't – it hadn't fully settled in with the players yet. Yeah. You know, it sounds like they've done some stuff where maybe they – they made the playbook a little smaller. It sounded like they took out some stuff on the defensive side and and Mm -hmm. just simplified it a little bit. But also now he feels more comfortable that they all know their jobs, that he can, yeah, be a little bit more creative with the play calling as far as pressures and who's, who he's sending and who he's, you know, I mean, Landman got a pick because he faked a blitz and then dropped back into coverage, you know, and, and that kind of stuff we weren't doing early on the season. So it's good to see. You can tell that guys are definitely getting more comfortable in their roles. I mean, Mark Perry just like could not be stopped (laughs) last night or not last night, um, this weekend. 
he just it seemed like every time they sent him, he was getting to the quarterback or the or the running back, whoever had the ball. Um, you know, Landman, like I said, he had a pick. He looks better in coverage every week, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. He's yeah, he's all of a sudden becoming like a, a decent coverage guy at linebacker, which I honestly never really expected him to make that leap. I thought he was no. just gonna be like an old school missile linebacker. And I I mean I'm pumped he's making that leap. I just didn't expect it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny now the duo with him and, and Davion Taylor in there, I feel like are, uh, have been dangerous, you know, I mean, yeah. they, they've been really good. Um, and aside from those guys, I mean, Jalen Sami, I know we talked about the D line already, but he had an exceptional game, including saving the buffs on a punt return by tracking down the punt returner on a 50 yard uh return and that guy weighs, he's six foot three he weighs 320 pounds and he tracked down like a little shifty uh <laughs> skill position player in the open field so that was pretty cool that's some athleticism from a dude that big that is some crazy athleticism yeah it's insane and he it wasn't even like it was close either like he just he totally got him he wrapped him up there was, i mean it was awesome yeah, I mean, and you, you kind of you kind of mentioned it when when you have Nate Lamon and Davion Taylor inside in that money package, then they bring in Mark Perry who takes over for Davion and the star, and I I think the main reason they've kind of moved more to that package is just to get the best athletes on the field. Yeah, uh, I think it's I think it's hard to keep Taylor and Perry off the field when especially Perry. Well, I mean, both of them really have been improving so much over the course of the season that it's hard to keep those guys off the field when they do play essentially the same position. So why not move to that money package and get them both in there? Right. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it, it's just a matter of like two of the, yeah, a couple of the best athletes. You just want to get the best guys on the field as much as you can. And and it's been a package that's worked for them. So mm-hmm. that's, it's good to see. Yeah. And another guy that kind of stood out as well, seems like Carson Wells finally had like a, his first like, really solid game all year i could be misremembering but i just feel like he hasn't had much of an impact you know being that kind of pass rush guy and he seemed to really get a lot of pressure in this game and it was it was good to see yeah i mean he got his first sack this year so you know i mean i think that's something that's like disappointing for him but also he was excited to finally get that (laughs) um so yeah he you know he had a he had a good game um it it seemed like he had a good game he was just another one of those guys that they would overload on one side and he was sliding through, getting pressure, like I said, getting the sack. Um, it's good to see. I don't know. I mean, we have on this outline, like, players on defense who stepped up and this list is just ridiculous this week. So yeah, <laughs> um, it's, it's fun to be able to see. And it's great that this defense that I honestly thought was just going to be a topic every week of like, yep, they're bad. So what are we going to do about it? Or like, yep, they played bad. That's what happened, you know, yeah. and, and now they're like a strength. So that's good to see. Yeah. And um, I, I know we were kind of talking about it before we started recording. We didn't really notice too much of, of Delrick Abrams and KJ Trujillo. Uh, I know you mentioned that uh, Abrams broke up the trick play. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's more, I mean, I think they did well. I mean, obviously the stats show that Easton didn't really get much going, but I think a big indicator of how well the defensive line is playing is us not really noticing those two guys. Yeah, I would agree. Because, or not necessarily defensive line, but just the pass rush in general. And if they can't, 
if the quarterback doesn't have time to throw, it's going to make your guys in the back end look a lot better. And I think that's kind of why we didn't really notice those two, aside from Abrams really breaking up that trick play. For sure, for sure. And I will say, to their credit, of Eason's, like, what do you have, a little over 200 yards passing? I think a majority of it was to tight ends, which is not generally their responsibility in coverage. So it seems like they really didn't get picked on much at all, which is a, a good sign. And, you know, I mean, to see a guy like KJ Trujillo out there when, like we've said before, physically he's probably not necessarily ready, is it's it's good to see that he's not just getting dominated every week for sure. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I mean, I, I've said it before. I'm really looking forward to seeing him, how he grows through the next three, four years, just or two or three years, just because um, he's – He's doing well when he's not physically quite there yet. So when he gets up to weight, I just feel like he's going to be a force to deal with. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, so, I mean, we've kind of been drooling over the defense for the first time really all year. So <laughs> let's let's move it back to the offense. Um, I think before we kind of go over what went well, I think there's still some a little bit of play calling issues, which I didn't necessarily expect to be having this late in the season but I think there's still some issues with Johnson kind of not sticking with what's working best yeah I mean honestly I felt like it didn't happen much in the game I mean there wasn't a a lot of times that I felt like I could say what like what are you doing you know Mm -hmm. but there were some drives especially later in the game where just run the ball if nothing else just to take up a little more bit more time you know and we were just we were throwing it probably more than we needed to um but yeah you know he he still seems to have his thing like he has his game plan he's gonna stick to his game plan and i mean to his credit you know they they did win the game and the offense while it's not necessarily hasn't been like super explosive um it it has been able to now two weeks in a row go on these long drives that pretty much put the game away so that's nice to see it's nice to know that it, it kind of pairs well with the way the defense has been playing um that they can just grind out a win right and i think well i didn't realize this until i kind of looked over the recap i completely spaced on the fact that that game ending drive started at the one yard line yeah it started at the one yard line, and we actually started with a sack. But there was a, it was a offense or offsides on on Washington, so it was first and five at the six, and they just pounded it down their throats. I mean, they had two, they had two long, two long uh, passes complete to Dimitri Stanley, but Clutch. then it was just it was him and Alex Fontenot for for that entire drive. Literally, it was only those two that that had progress on on that drive. Yeah, well. They had the two long completions to Stanley, um, Montez did. And Montez, the, the one that was on third and, what was that, third and 16 or something 16. like that? 16. Mm-hmm. Um, that he just, he like escaped pressure and then f- just just floated it over there to, to Stanley, who was wide open. Like, that was like such a quintessential Montez thing where you're looking at him like, man, why can't you like be comfortable in the pocket, avoid pressure, be mobile, and then find the open man like that all the time, you know? Yeah. He did it on that play, and then he made another nice throw to him later, and then it was just like, all right, 
we're giving it to Fontenot and he's just putting it away. And that's pretty much what he did. I mean, he just, he crushed him. Yeah. I mean, he had, I think his third hundred yard game of the season. Um, but Montez. Okay. Look, I think he kind of alluded to it a few weeks back when he was in a press conference and he said something about, I got in like a pocket passer kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. He plays his best when he's like, running around just like kind of doing his thing almost like school like schoolyard bullshit kind of ball yeah no and it's and i I don't know why he got that mindset part of me wants to think that you know he'd been told you can't get hurt maybe because we don't have anything behind you and um i think that kind of messed with his psyche and i think when he i mean we've seen the last two weeks obviously he hasn't been putting up like unreal numbers but He's playing better when he's just kind of free and flowing and, and he's feeling he's he's willing to run the ball and, and create plays kind of on his own. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely true. I mean he had, you know, two hundred and seventy nine total yards if you include his rushing numbers, um, which I, I didn't factor I think he got sacked once in there, so mm-hmm. I didn't factor I that into it either. So it was actually a little bit more than that. But um yeah, I mean he he had he pretty much he had the game that they needed him to, I think, is is what you can say about that. No, it wasn't super flashy. It wasn't anything crazy numbers-wise, but he made the plays when it counted. Or he just threw it up to his freak athlete wide receiver and hoped for some magic to happen. Yeah, okay. We got to talk about that real quick. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to link the audio to that. You already heard it at the beginning of the show. And that's also our tweet of the week, just because of how nuts it was. Yes. But, I mean, I remember I texted you the minute it happened, because it was weird. In the stadium, like, he obviously caught the ball, but no one knew he caught the ball. Right. So it was, like, kind of quiet, and then a bunch of Washington people were cheering because they thought they picked it off. Right. And then all of a sudden, like, Visca stands up, drops the ball, and, like, puts his arms up, like, I don't know. What does the and Michael the, Jordan shrug? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, like... I, and then, like, it was, like, such a delayed celebration. Like, I think probably about six or seven seconds went by before the people in the stadium realized that we had just scored a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't figure out, like, I watched that replay probably 20 times trying to figure mm-hmm. out how he managed to catch that ball and how it didn't just end up being an interception. And I couldn't really see anything about, like, the ball looks like it just hits the defender straight up and all somehow magically ends up in LaVisca's hands. But um, there, was a, there was a good photo that I saw, I tweeted it out earlier, that you could see how Visca actually had his both of his hands up on that ball right in front of the defender's face, kind of. Yeah. So he just basically stole it from him. He just slipped his hands in front of him and, and snagged it away from him. And then used one hand to bring it in and the other hand just kind of shoved him out of the way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, I, I, the, the guy that was covering him was a true freshman, which whose idea was it to have a true freshman covering LaVisca Chanel? I know. First and foremost. Yeah. And obviously he just like physically worked that dude and came down with it. And I mean, I think that's, I, I didn't realize this until recently, but apparently one of the criticisms on Visca outside of like the possibly injury prone thing is that, and it's not even on him, it's that CU just doesn't throw him enough jump balls. Right. And yeah. and I, when I thought about it, I was like, man, we really don't. And I don't know why, because I mean, he does stuff like this. I mean, 
that wasn't even a 50-50 ball. That was like 70-30 in favor of the Washington. Yeah, seriously. And he still came down with this. So, I mean, I just don't know why we haven't been throwing him more 50-50 balls. Obviously, too late really to change that. But, I mean, the guy is just – he just does things that I have not seen receivers do really ever. Yeah, I mean – that's a thing. It was it was nice to hear Montez when he was asked about it later say like, yeah, I saw Visca one on one and figured, let's just give him a chance and see what happens. So, you know, that was a good thing to hear. Obviously, you hope that they look to that often. Um, he's the best player on the field pretty much every game, and uh, you know, I think it's going to be something that's going to be important to do in their next game because he's going to be one of the few advantages we really have on the field so oh yeah um i hope they look to it more visca as far as the nfl stuff you know he's probably going to be a late first round pick and there are going to be so many teams that are pissed that they didn't take him i mean he's probably gonna because it'll be a late first rounder because of the injuries and stupid stuff like that he'll probably go to like a decent team and start tearing people up right away. So that'll be fun. It's going to be funny when like Herbert goes before him, you know, I mean like that kind of stuff is going to happen, which I understand. Like obviously the quarterback position is, you know, something totally different than just a wide receiver, but like LaVisca Chenault is just another level of human being that can really change a game. So um, I'll be keeping track of that for sure. Yeah. I'm, I I would I don't I don't really care because I'm not a Broncos fan. Neither are you. <laughs> I know a lot of Broncos people would be pissed, but I would love to see him like at like Andy Reid in Kansas City. In yeah, that offense that would be wild, or like Sean Payton in in New Orleans or something. Right, like he like they would just figure out ridiculous ways to use him, and he would probably be an all star. <laughs> yeah, no, he's uh he's he's crazy, and I hope yeah I hope he he lands in the right place because. I'm sorry, like, if anyone thinks he's not going, like, I don't, I can't imagine he would stay. I don't know what it would be that would keep him around um, at this point, because even if he's, like, late first-round guy, maybe some people even have him on the fringe right now, he's going to go to the Combine, and he's going to put up stupid numbers that people have never seen before. Yeah, and he's going to go squat, like, 600 pounds. Yeah, and right, shit. <laughs> and that'll be that. So, um, no, I'm, I'm excited to see where he ends up going. And uh, I did think it was funny. I guess you were in the stadium, so you didn't hear this. But the broadcast said so many times, like, oh, Eason, who's who's projected top five quarterback on most NFL big boards, like, throughout the beginning of the game, throughout most of the game. And they were saying, like, man, he's really having some problems tonight. And I'm just like, yeah, are you not watching that actual NFL caliber guy on the other team <laughs> talking about Eason and his freaking... 10 yard backpedal like yeah no i've never i mean again he's just looked so meh to me all year where i'm like i don't understand and the same thing happening with herbert i think it's just even though there's like 10 air raid former air raid quarterbacks starting in the nfl they're still obsessed with the guys that are like prototypical 6'5 230 with a cannon arm oh (laughs) herbert's going to denver like he has John Elway quarterback written all over, all over him. him. <laughs> Tall, big arm. End of story. That's it. That's yeah, all he you doesn't need. need anything else. Nope, nothing else. So uh, that'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, you know, uh, another. I think we we need to 
touch on just a little bit. We kind of did at the beginning, but the offensive line, they only gave up one sack, and obviously we ran for 200-plus yards. I mean, they just went to town on the UW-Washington – UW – I can't talk – UW offensive line. And, again, just never would have thought that – never never expected that to happen on any, on any surface. No, I mean, we're kind of just playing – tough football these days and i think that's kind of what mel tucker came in saying he wanted to do so it's awesome that his vision is kind of coming together and to be honest i almost feel like it's a little bit early because you know i I, the way this year was going i mean look flashback three weeks ago you and i are on a bus leaving the ucla game and talking about how sad we are that we're going to go three and nine yeah (laughs) and how it's just going to be a bummer because people are going to be like upset with mel tucker and all this stuff and now we're sitting at five and six and uh honestly you know with some pretty big wins if you if you really think about it i mean like you said that's the first time we've beaten washington in our last nine tries or something like that so um, it's been, it's been fun, man. It's been fun. It's been fun watching. And yeah, the O-line playing better, I think has just been like quintessential what Mel Tucker was trying to talk about when he first got here. Yeah. And I think, um, I, I just, I, I think it would have been funny if we could have recorded like us, like just like down and out oh, at the end of the UCLA game, just kind of eat that crow and play that just to hear how stupid we sounded. But yeah. Um, I, I saw this thing somewhere and this is kind of sad to see, but, <laughs> uh, outside of the 2016 season, if you take that season away from the last staff, this staff has already won more games in November. Oh <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, so that's a brutal one to see, but yeah. I mean that, that bodes well for the future. Yeah, it does. I don't know. Yeah. I, the Mel, the Mel Tucker hype train is, is full of people right now. So yeah. Yeah. It's full speed, and I am riding on top of the train. I'm not even inside. It. <laughs> yeah, wind is whipping in my face. Yeah, um, but uh, you know, we, I think we got to give us a, uh, a special shout out. I think you put this down to Alex Kinney. Oh my god! I like that was the cool. I mean, I've never like lost my mind for a special teams punt before. <laughs> I don't know why I said special teams punt. It's always a special teams punt. But I don't think I've ever, like, lost my mind until I saw that. Yeah. It it took a bounce at, like, three, and it just went pretty much directly sideways out at the one. I mean, totally lucky, but still awesome. You know? It's great to see. I mean, we're probably, not going to lie, one of the most, like, pro special teams podcasts that there is out there. I feel like we talk about these guys all the time. But it's true, man. I mean, that that's a four-point game, low scoring. I mean, you need that stuff. You need those guys to show up. And, and you know, Alex Kenny, man, he's been as good as anyone else out there. So uh, that that's that's awesome. It was awesome to see that the way that ball just went out at the perfect, perfect corner and how pumped up he was, like, sprinting down the field. Yeah, he was definitely pumped. I mean, yeah. he he hit it sixty two yards. Yeah, and it, it was, was a ball in air. It was a ball in air. Yeah. So you know, special shout out to him. Um, other than that, I mean, any any other thoughts on this game before we kind of get into the Utah? Uh, I mean, I guess to keep it quick, Mel Tucker's a badass. Yep. Um, totally on board. 
And the one thing I would want to say is it was nice to see the Buffs win a game where it seemed like there were a lot of things that didn't necessarily go their way. Like, I was texting you early, it seemed like calls were kind of going against them. I know that's such a like stupid thing to say as a fan of one of the teams, but it did feel very unfortunate, like some of those calls that were going against them. I know Rakestraw had the late hit thing, but... You know, I, I even the broadcasters were kind of saying, like, I don't love that call. Like, it was such a big thing. I mean, it allowed them to continue the drive and score a touchdown. And I don't know. Stuff like that kept happening. The punt return that almost got taken all the way back. And yet, they still managed to finish that game out. They they fought off the buff shit somehow. The buff shit, yeah. I mean, I think on the Rakestraw one, I do think just because... It, I mean, the ball landed out of bounds. He wasn't really yeah, that. I mean, he, he was close he to it. He didn't need to hit him at all. It was no. a bad play, but it was kind of like, I don't know. It was just frustrating that something like that was going to end up being a deciding factor in the game. Or at least that's what it felt like to me at the time. I was like, God, they're going to lose this game because there was a stupid like hit at the end of a play that was pretty much over. Yeah, I think I think just when you when you're playing in a game that is officiated by Pac-12 refs, you just gotta try and avoid anything that could even look like a penalty. Right. Don't even give <laughs> them mean, the opportunity. These guys can't even call penalties on the right team. Yeah. And they're walking ball the wrong way in other games. So I mean, you just can't really trust these guys. Totally. Yeah. So, um, huge buffs win onto the the Utah game and after the after the Washington game ended my dad who wasn't able to make it down for the game he called me and he was pumped up and he's like hey let's go to Utah and uh so we've never been to Utah but we're gonna we ended up going to uh gonna be going to Utah I think uh Kelly's gonna be able to maybe get us some some nice tickets so hopefully we'll be able to get something good there but uh they you know like we mentioned before they beat Arizona 35 to 7 last week dominant as always and you know, other than USC and Washington, they haven't really had a close game uh, all year, and it's they're scary. Yeah, I mean, they we we've said it kind of I think the past couple weeks that Utah seems like they're probably the best team in the Pac-12, and and they've really been playing like it. So, you know, it, it it's gonna be interesting to see how this game goes, but it's true they've pretty much been tearing through everybody, um, but. The one close game since USC was Washington, and we just did beat them. So, you know, mm-hmm. if you need something to attach some belief to, there it is. Yeah. I mean, I think the the reason – and, uh, again, I'm not I'm not confident that, that the Buffs are going to win or anything like that. I still think that Utah is going to take this one, unfortunately. But the thing that gives me just a little bit of hope is that Utah's offense starts and ends with Zach Moss. And if – I mean, we held Washington and a really good running back in Salvin Ahmed to, you know, I mean, he he obviously split carries down the middle pretty last game, nothing. but to pretty much nothing all game. And I mean, if we can, look, I don't expect us to do that to Utah just because they've got a bunch of big Polynesian dudes all <laughs> over the place. Yeah. And uh, I mean, their, their offensive line is really solid. But if we can, if we can keep, he's averaging six point four yards a carry on the season. If we can keep that to like three yards a carry this game, I think that'll give us a shot. Just because if they can bring pressure like they had the last couple games, um, and maybe make Huntley 
make some errant throws, I think that's really the the key to how the Buffs will will even stay in this game. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to have to be more the same. You know, that they need to slow down the running game so that they get into good down and distances for this defense and so that they can allow Summers to get creative with pressures and and force Huntley into some either bad throws or or get sacks or whatever it is. Um, It's kind of the same formula, I feel like, uh, that as they've been playing with the last two weeks. It's just, yeah, it's just a better team. It's better running back, better line. So we'll see what they can do. I do think their style of play kind of lent the buffs, that is, lends itself to close games. So, you know, when you're when you're winning and you want them to stretch it out, you're, it can be frustrating. But I feel like in a game like this where they're not as good as this team that they're going to play, it, it could be a benefit. You know, maybe we can hang around just long enough to make something happen. But I don't know. We'll see. Um, I guess as long as we're talking about things, reasons for optimism, um, I kind of wanted to say, too, teams have moved the ball on Utah some. I mean, UCLA got blown out by them. But if you if you go back and look at that game, they had like five or six drives where they were moving the ball pretty well. And they just didn't come up with really any points on any of them. And I feel like that's going to be a key for the Buffs is that they capitalize on the opportunities when they get them. Because you won't you won't be able to get as many but um, yeah, like looking back at the UCLA game, they had, um, let's see, they had, I mean, other than the fact that Dorian Thompson Robinson was turning the ball over like he didn't want it, <laughs> that didn't that didn't help them right. either. But, you know, they had a 47-yard drive that ended in a fumble. They had a 43-yard drive that ended in a fumble return for a touchdown. They had a 28-yard drive that ended a half where they just ran out of time. They had a 40-yard drive where there was an interception, like, that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. I I think that they can move the ball on this team. It's just going to be a matter of can they score when the opportunity presents itself. Yeah, I think that yeah, yeah I mean Utah's defense has for a stat it's been it's been a little bit bend but don't break. Um and a lot of it is I think that they just wear people down to the point where I mean, they make you fight for every single yard you get. So by the time right. you get down to the end of the field, you're just gassed. And it's it's tough to kind of keep pushing through to get those points on the board. And I think that's where they've really started to take people down is, is in that last like third of the field. Right. It's going to be a lot of third downs. It's going to be a lot of like, can you get those extra yard or two yards that you need to keep the drive moving? That kind of stuff, I think, is going to be the, the difference between will we go three and out and will we have long um, game controlling drives? Yeah. And I mean, one thing I think that I, I haven't seen it mentioned much in any of the articles really, but maybe I've just read the wrong articles, but I think you got to take into account that this Utah team has never really been in a position like this where they have, you know, the entire, basically the entire country watching them to see what they do in this game, to see if they can, win out because they're the only chance the Pac-12 still has the playoff hopes. And that's a lot of pressure to be on a team yeah. going into the final regular season week. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, it, it is like quote unquote rivalry week, even though this Utah CU thing isn't, isn't really a rivalry, but it's true. I mean, it's kind of like the last game that they have before the Pac-12 championship. 
you know, maybe we catch them looking ahead a little bit because they think we're going to be a pushover team. I, who knows? But, you know, we've had some close games with Utah in the past. So if if we can keep this one close and, and maybe, just maybe, they get a little bit, a little bit anxious, a little nervous, and we can make something happen that way. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, they, uh, they, they can't have much respect for, for the CU team that they've seen all year. Obviously, they're probably, I'm sure Whittingham and the staff are going to be telling them that this is, this team's kind of really improved the past two weeks, but right. I think that they have just been dealing with people so easily this week. I don't, I don't think that the players necessarily will expect anything different, and that, that kind of leads itself to or lends itself to the Buffs having at least a small a small chance here. Yeah, I mean, look, let's be frank here. The Buffs are twenty eight point underdogs in this game, so most people feel that this is going to be an absolute blowout, and it definitely could be. I mean, Utah, they're playing at home. I think all year in their five games at home, they've given up a total of thirty six points. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. So, I mean. That's like not hard to do the math there and figure out like it's going to be tough sledding on offense. Um, and yeah, and Huntley and Moss are like Zach Moss is absolutely electric as a running back. And people are going to see that this week coming up and, and I hope we can contain him. But look, they have talent pretty much all over the field. I will say our one advantage is probably going to be LaVisca Chenault versus whoever they have in their secondary. So mm-hmm. if we can give Montez any kind of time, we will have an advantage there. But, I, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. Like, can our offense that relies so much on running the ball, can we run the ball on this Utah defensive line and on this Utah team? And can we make the plays that we need just to keep these drives going? Can we make the big plays, you know? I mean, even in the Washington game, like I said, Early on, we had a chance at a touchdown. Montez saw LaVisca in the end zone, and as LaVisca was making his cut back to receive the ball, he slipped and fell, and they almost had a pick instead of a touchdown. So yeah, it's like, are we going to be able to make those plays is kind of the difference, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it could it could be a snowy game too. Potentially, so, yeah. Um, that wouldn't necessarily be in our favor just because then we really wouldn't then it would make the passing game even that much more difficult, which, like you said, I think that's really the main shot that we have is to kind of get something going with Visca. Um, and hopefully if Katie can come back. Um, but, I, you know, now that I'm thinking of it, you know who I didn't really notice in the last game? Who's that? Was Tony Brown. Yeah, he didn't He didn't have a lot. He had a, I want to say he had a few catches. Yeah, I, that just came out of nowhere. But I just, for some reason, I was like, did he play last game? But I know he did. <laughs> Um, yeah, he had four, I mean, he had four catches for 10 and a half yards. So he, I mean, he, he just did his thing kind of being consistent, right. but you know, if we can get KD back and then just get Visca, Tony and KD, because that's been, if there has been any knock on Utah, it's really been that their secondary is quote unquote, the weak, weak link of the defense. Obviously it's not that weak because they're still doing their job, right? Right. but they're just, I mean, when you've got a defensive line and like a front seven, really, that's as talented as Utah's something's got to give and the, and the, the secondary has just been a little bit weak. Um, and I don't think they've really, you know, they really haven't gone up against anybody like, uh, LaVisca. I mean, nobody really has no, Yeah. to be fair, Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I'm looking at their schedule. It's USC. They pretty played, much. yeah, they played USC and I mean, look, I mean, that was their only loss. Yeah. 
was to a team with elite receivers. And CU's, I think, got one and a half elite receivers yeah. if you combine Tony and Katie. <laughs> um, and, you know, I mean, they they had a tough time against USC. And that's real, other than Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State. I guess they did play Oregon State, but um, they really only played three elite receivers all year. Um, so I know I think Visca can do something against this defense. And that's really kind of like you said, the, the big hope for, for this game. Yeah. I mean, you know, if I'm Montez going into this game, I'm just thinking you're going to do on every play, you're going to do whatever you have to do to get some yards. So whether that's like scrambling because he could have to do a lot of it, you know, I mean, taking what's in front of him, he's been doing a better job of, like escaping pressure and running for first downs, which has been good to see. Um, but yeah, you know, I wouldn't mind him just like running when he can, just slinging the ball down the field, you know, some some throwback Montez action. I really wouldn't yeah. at this point because, like I said, I, I have a hard time believing that they're going to be able to run the ball the way that they want to. So it might have to be like some more quarterback runs, some more, you know, things that they're not necessarily expecting to see from us for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, really, I mean, I think that kind of covers our thoughts for this game. Uh, I'll let you, Chase, start it off with what you think the final outcome is going to be. Uh, all right. Um, I've picked against the Buffs the last two weeks, uh, two games, I guess, not two weeks. And I wish I could say I was going to reverse that trend this week. But, you know, I, I just... I mean, Utah is the number, I believe they were number six in the AP poll that just came out. And yeah, I mean, this is a really, really good team and they're at home. And I just think it's going to be really tough for the Buffs. I don't think it'll be a high scoring game. I have 24 to 12 Utah written down as my prediction. I just think we're going to have a hard time scoring touchdowns. I think we'll move the ball some, but I just have a hard time thinking that we're going to punch it in the end zone all the time. So 24 to 12, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you there. I, as much as I wish I wasn't picking against the Buffs, I think it's going to be a 28-14 kind of game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although I think the 28-point spread I think is a lot, especially yeah. if it's going to be snowing. And with the way that the CU defense has been playing the past couple weeks, Oh, 28 and a half is a lot of points. Yeah. So I might be loading up on that one. Yeah, that's pretty pretty disrespectful. Um, I don't know. I just, you know, I, I hope, I mean, granted, I've picked against them the last two weeks and they've won both games. So hopefully that trend will continue. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just feel like the CU's just got to go in there playing with nothing to lose, you know, and uh, and we'll see what happens. I think I mean I think they will. It's you got you got Montez's last game. Right. You got Visca in his last game. Right. I think I, there's a lot of people that I think or a lot of guys on this team that I think really want to get a bowl outside of that 2016 season, and I think that they'll, they'll they're gonna I think they're gonna give it everything they got. Yeah, I mean it seems like the team is really coming together. They seem like they've really I mean all of them obviously they're gonna say this no matter how they feel, but it seems like that desire to make it to a bowl is really there. And now that they actually have one, two games that they weren't supposed to and have, you know, kind of established this possibility that they could still make it. It seems like that, that belief is creeping in, you know, a little, a little Mel Tucker mm-hmm. magic, maybe the Mel Tucker creeping magic. in. So we'll see. Yeah. 
So um, before we get to our bets, uh, just a little bit of recruiting news. Jordan Berry, that defensive tackle from California, committed to the Buffs on Sunday. So that was a huge pickup. Uh, we I mentioned a little bit before, but you know that's just going to add to what is already going to be pretty much an entire defensive line coming back next year, plus him and the former number one recruit in the country. So yep. <laughs> things are looking up there. Yep, things are definitely looking up there. Uh, I think their class is ranked 29 on uh, yes, 24-7 right now. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, top 30, baby. Here we go. Yeah, yep. that is not bad. When, when you've got a season that we're not even – well, not, not necessarily, I'm not going to say it yet, but you're not likely to go to a Right, ball. right. You know, that's that's impressive. And, it's, you know, Tucker kind of – for a while there, I was worried that they weren't really backing up the, the talk about recruiting relentlessly. And now it kind of seems like they've kind of got there. They're just – yeah, everyone's coming here all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah, you just got to hope, you, you know, you can you can keep that momentum rolling through next season and then hopefully turn that into two six wins or more. Yes. So uh, with that being said, Chase, I'll let you get it started with your bets for this week. Okay, um, bets for this week. I've got number one, Oklahoma State plus thirteen and a half at home versus Oklahoma. Um, personally, I just don't understand at all how Oklahoma could be a two touchdown favorite over anyone in the Big Twelve mm-hmm. right now, let alone Oklahoma State, who is a ranked team. So, Oklahoma State, they're at home. They might beat Oklahoma for all I know. But, uh, you know, I don't think that I just I really have a hard time believing they're going to lose by more than two touchdowns. So that's my first one. Uh, My second one is LSU minus 17 versus Texas A&M. The one thing about Texas A&M is they like to score garbage time points. (laughs) It's it's bitten me in the past, but um, (laughs) I just think LSU, they're going to go into this one. You know, it's their last game that they need to win before getting into that SEC championship game and and furthering their their road to the playoffs. Um, They're going to be at home in front of their home crowd, and and I just think they blow the doors off of Texas A&M. I don't think A&M is actually that strong of a team. I think they're kind of boosted by the fact that they're in the SEC. And like I said, they, they put up numbers in games that they have no chance in to make it look a little closer. So I think that's the other factor there. Um, and then my last pick is a little bit risky, but it's Minnesota plus two and a half versus Wisconsin. Um, Minnesota's at home, and I just think they'll be really trying to continue to prove that they're for real here. So, And I do honestly think that they, they're probably better than Wisconsin, in my mind. I, I just... I think they have a little bit more balance to them. So they're plus two and a half at home, and I think they win that game. I like it. That's ballsy, but I like I it. I think they win it. Um, yeah, that's – Just keep rowing that boat. Keep rowing that boat. Yeah, just keep rowing it. Why not? Yeah. Keep rowing that <laughs> boat, Mr. Fleck. <laughs> I was thinking of doing one of my risky ones that I, I'm not going to list it. I mean, I'm going to tell about it right now, but <laughs> I was thinking Michigan plus nine and a half against OSU, Ohio State, just because it's hard to go undefeated. Yeah. But Chase, you talked me out of it because of Chase Young. Yes. And so I, I wouldn't, he's just, he's just a freak. Um, it, but my, uh, my first one is going to be Iowa minus five and a half against Nebraska and Lincoln. Look, Maryland is one of the biggest dumpster fires in college so football. So bad. It's like them, Rutgers, and Arkansas are on their own tier. 
And so Nebraska whooping them, I that gives me zero. I I, I still have the same amount of confidence that I was going to win this game as I did before this week. I mean, I watched that game, and Maryland was trying to lose. <laughs> I mean, they threw like they had like three turnovers to start the game on their first three drives or something ridiculous. Right. It was just so I went minus five and a half. I don't care if it's in Lincoln. Screw you, Scott Frost. You're not going to a bowl. <laughs> Second one is uh, Auburn plus three and a half against Alabama. Obviously, two was hurt, and Auburn's played uh, LSU and Georgia, and they played one other. Oh, Florida! They all they played all three of them really close. I think that they just are they're just due a win against one of the the top four in this league, and why not against Alabama with out to a in in a quarterback. So I'll take Auburn plus three and a half. It's in Auburn. I hope that one pulls through. But then the uh, the last one, as I mentioned, Arkansas is one of the biggest dumpster fires <laughs> in like college football history. Yeah. <laughs> and Missouri is only favored by 12. I don't care if it's in Arkansas. I'm taking Missouri and Kelly Bryant to win that one. Even if Kelly Bryant doesn't play, I know he's had some injury issues all year. Even if he doesn't play, I'm taking Missouri minus 12 to win that game. So yeah. Yeah, that yeah. I mean, th- those will cover for my bets. I actually finally had like a winning week last week for betting, and like the first time in like seven or eight weeks. Hey. So, uh, hopefully, I've been listening to me. But if you have, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we uh, wrap this one up, I did want to ask you, Chase, unrelated to the buffs, who is your Heisman pick? Oh, oh, that's a good question. Um. Man, look, here's the thing. It's going to be Joe Burrow, I think, because that's just the way these things go. I mean, he makes LSU run, and he plays quarterback, which is just like one of the, the like the essential position of football. So It's, it's the quarterback. Right, so it's, it's going to be him. But I just, to be completely honest with you, I have never seen – anyone dominate a football game like chase young absolutely dominated penn state the other day so i i just think he's like the most talented player by far but if you're talking about a heisman like it's going to be joe burrow i just think i just think chase young is on a different level as far as i mean they were playing penn state and he made them look bad yeah so i think that that's probably it for me i don't know what do you what about you yeah, no, I mean, I think I think Burrow's probably gonna win it, but I really wish <clears throat> that the committee, the, not the committee, the voters would give Chase Young a fair shake because yes. I mean he was out against Maryland and Rutgers, but in his last two games against Wisconsin and Penn State, he had seven sacks. He has sixteen and a half on the year. Sixteen yeah. and a half. He yeah he set the he set the record for single season sacks against Penn State. Yeah. So, I mean, he's going to get some against Michigan, too, and just probably put that out of reach. But the guy just completely takes over games. No, you can't stop and it's, No. And I, there was, like, an interview on, like, with uh, James Franklin, the Penn State head coach, before the game. And they're like, how do you plan to slow down Chase Young uh, in your game against Ohio State this week? And James Franklin, the head coach of Penn State, literally laughed and said, you don't slow him down. He's going to get a sack, if not to. Yeah. <laughs> And, and you end up getting three. three. So yeah, there you go. Um, you know, it's just when coaches aren't even confident in their own team, 
in stopping a guy. You know that he's something special. So I just had to I just had to pose that one in there. I yeah. think Chase Young deserves it, but he won't. Get no, it. he won't. He won't because it'll it'll go to Burrow. I mean, he'll probably be a finalist just because he you know everyone loves him and talks about him and stuff. But I can't imagine he's gonna win. I wish he would. I wish that it was possible that he could because I do think he is like if you're looking at people at their position, I think he is the best player in college football as far as like where he stands relative to the rest of his position. Um, and I just, yeah, I mean, he's awesome, man. He's awesome. I've just never seen someone blow through like double teams against top 10 teams. Like he just did. Yeah. He's just fun. He makes, he makes like, I don't like it. And I think I listened to this on like the cover three podcast. They were trying to decide if there's any tackle in America that could block him one-on-one, and all three guys on the podcast said no. No, absolutely not. Yeah. So uh, he's just he just makes everybody look slow. Yeah. But, um, you know, that'll I think that'll do it for this week. Uh, as always, if you want to ask any questions, give us a discussion or talking point, just go to shoulder-to-shoulderpod at gmail.com. But that'll do it for this week's episode. Yeah, as always subscribe leave five star ratings reviews comments we'd love to see it and uh thanks for listening scope buffs scope buffs